You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. I was a little bit younger and I was in a uh, church meeting and they started talking about a ladies' night out. It was a girls', um, girls night at uh, our church when I was growing up. And I thought, okay, this will be really exciting, girls' night. So like any you know, strapping young 12-year-old boy, I was like, I'll be there. Right? That'll be me. Like I'm in attendance. And uh, so I was just kind of goofing off and, and saying, you know, like, I'll, I'll be there and just trying to get people riled up. You know, so the night comes and my good friend Dan that's here today, actually his brother Doug and I were spending some time together just hanging out. And his dad comes in and goes, oh, what are you up to tonight? And I said, well, it's the girls' night at the church and we really want to make a guest appearance. Um, but I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do it. And he goes, well, here's some money. Go buy some masks. So he gives us some masks, actually encouraged us to bring a chainsaw. True story. Uh, we didn't, though, so don't, don't worry, it ends, it ends better than that. But he it, uh, gives us some money to buy some masks, so Doug and I head over to the church. We stop by our local convenience store, pick up a Darth Vader mask and a clown mask, and we figure, oh, this is going to be a great, you know, grand entrance. So we begin to go through all of the different uh, entrances, trying to figure out, I mean, it was a church with like a thousand doors, so we're like pulling on every door trying to find our way, and we can't find any door that opens. Finally, in God's sovereign grace, I find a door that opens. I, I, I just, pop, just pop it open, and I, I, I look into this window, and I notice that all the girls are watching a movie. So I'm thinking, like, right there, it was like the presence of God just overwhelmed me. I was like, this, this could not have been, like, more divinely ordained than that I could run through during a movie, screaming, beating my chest, and just roll out like nothing happened. I did my thing. I'm done. So time comes, I look at Doug, I'm like, Doug, you ready? He's like, yeah, let's do this. So for whatever reason, I don't know about you, when, when I'm excited and nervous, I jump. I don't know why, like, you look into these things. I don't even know what that means. Like, but uh, so I'm, I'm getting really excited. I start jumping, I'm peering through the window, and I open up the door, and I bolt through as fast as I humanly possibly can, which wasn't that fast, but I ran as fast as I could, screaming at the top of my lungs. I mean, like, as loud as I, and I run around the corner, I slip, I smash my head on the ground, I get up, again, I'm bouncing, and I'm like looking and listening, and I'm noticing that there's no one responding. And I thought, this, this isn't good. Now, I don't know much about running through buildings with masks on, but what I do know is that typically there should be a reaction, like a, whoo, or a, rather I heard, ooh. I thought, that's odd. So I'm waiting, I turn around, I'm like, where's Doug? Doug doesn't come. So now I'm getting nervous, and I'm jumping again, I'm bouncing, bouncing again. So I look, and there's another door, so I bolt out the door, and I run around the corner, and I'm like, okay, Doug's my ride, because he's a couple years older than me, so he's my ride. I'm stuck at the church, just ran through with a mask. Everyone knows it's me. I mean, there's only so many people that do that. So I I come around the corner, and there is my dad's secretary, uh, just red in the face, beat red right there. And she's like, Jared, that wasn't smart. No. I was thinking, okay, this is, I already understood that wasn't smart. That's why I did that, okay? So, no, Jerry, that wasn't smart. And I was like, well, they were actually having an altar call. Mm. Needless to say, that was an interesting evening. I thought they were watching a movie. They were having people come up for prayer. So, 
If anyone runs through with a mask today, that was not planned, all right? So if they do, stop them now, all right? If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll have it on the screen in the seat back in front of you. If you're visiting or don't own a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Go ahead and take that. We'd love to, to help you uh, kind of get accustomed to what that uh, really is about. I have a, a message this morning, uh, and honestly, it's, it's, I, I really need you to pay attention and track with me. Uh, because I feel like I'm walking on a tightrope as I'm preparing this. Everything in me doesn't want to say this just because of all the potential, listen, misconceptions around this. Uh, and what I mean by that is just turn to the person beside you and say, matter matters. All right, I got four people to say, matter matters. All right, don't worry, we're not building a greenhouse today at the end of the message. All right, uh, okay, I think it's good to recycle, but I want to teach something this morning that I think is absolutely necessary for us as a church to understand what God has called us to in this city, and I want to combat a philosophy that kind of just settles in subconsciously in Christian culture. See, uh, growing up in and around Christian culture, or maybe if that you've just kind of come in on the tail end of this thing, or you're just kind of feeling your way out, what often is portrayed is that spirituality looks at something, looks like something we can't attain, or something that's far off in the distance. So for instance, when we worship, it's almost because we worship a God who is invisible, it's almost like we feel that anything is invisible is therefore spiritual, and anything that's tangible is somehow less spiritual. This morning, I want to challenge our thought on that, and I want to do it in two ways. One is what the gospel does to us, its implications towards us, and then secondly, its implications through us. So if you can read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle writes this. We went through this last week. I want to go at a different angle, though. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, let me give you the context for this. The book of Corinthians, when Paul wrote this, he was not writing to Southern Baptist believers in South Carolina with the three-button, you know, three-button, three-suit thing, whatever that looks like. I tie myself in knots when I try to put those on. I still can't tie a tie. I actually had my wife learn how. That's a true confession. I'm like, hun, I just, every time I do this, I end up choking myself. Can you try? So she did it. Semi-embarrassing. Let's move on. <laughs> when Paul the Apostle wrote this book, this letter, he was not writing to perfect believers. He wasn't writing to perfect Christians. And we have to understand, see, the majority of the New Testament is Paul's instruction. Two-thirds of the New Testament is Paul's instruction to broken, crazy people. Now, whether you like this or whatever, I'm not a big fan of it. You flip on Jerry Springer, Mari, Judge Judy. I'm not sure how she's still relevant, but what I mean, she's, you know what I mean. But you, 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 whoever you turn on the TV, this is who's Paul writing to. I, I, I don't know how to say that. I mean, you turn on Judge Judy and you, you have you ever seen that show? I mean, they're, they're fighting over a broken bicycle. He broke my bicycle and we broke up and he broke my bicycle. Uh, really? You're going to get on TV. I'm suing you for $250 for a broken bicycle. Dude, I want to give you a bicycle for free just to get off that show. Like, the common sense here just doesn't click. Have you ever met anybody like that? Who lives beside somebody like that? Whose neighbor's with them? Or, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. You, you know what I'm talking about. When they, the, there's just that disconnect with people where it's like, it doesn't make sense. See, Paul the Apostle's writing to a church 
full of dysfunction. We have to understand that because the gospel shines brightest in darkness, shines best in dysfunction. It's not scared of it. We've created a Christian bubble or culture that's so insulated that it's like you're either in or you're out where the gospel meets everyone at a level basis. So when Paul says anyone's a new creation in Christ, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're new. He's not writing this to the people that were born in church and somehow perfected their humanity. He was writing to people that if you read in this letter, were into drunkenness, into orgies, into incest, weird stuff. I mean, I mean, you turn on Jerry Springer and just might as well open up the book of Corinthians. And if that offends you, I apologize. Read your Bible. All right. Just say it. I'm taking it up with him. Paul the Apostle. He's dead now. I don't know. Channel him. You got your own issues if you're trying that. See, when Paul writes this, he says, if anyone is in Christ, therefore you are a new creation. Now watch this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen, this is profound specifically for two reasons. Number one, that in first century time, when Paul writes this to us, he's writing to a group of people who are influenced not only by paganism, which is basically sheer carnality, but number two, by Gnosticism. Look at the person beside you and say Gnosticism. Say Gnostic. I always wonder why I had a G there, but I don't know. I'm working through that on my own. Hooked on phonics didn't work, all right? I'm just saying, I don't know, G and N, how do I get Gnostic out of G and N? All right. Gnosticism. See, listen, now Gnosticism is not something that you can really define in this simple thing. Well, this is what Gnostics believe. See, um, in a sense, and this is going to fall short as an analogy, describing Gnosticism would be like trying to describe, just because you're a football fan, uh, you like a specific team and somebody else likes a specific team. So even though you like football in general, you have something that kind of ties everything together. You have, personally, you have something you hold to. I know that analogy falls short. But see, Gnosticism in the first century didn't have so much a strict code to adhere to or a strict doctrine as much as simply this idea that there is gods who are holy or holy or too superior, and because they are so holy, they don't want to have anything to do with matter. Anything that's solid, the gods were too pure, too majestic, I don't know, whatever word you want to reach for, it, it was too superior to that they didn't want to reach into and touch humanity. So what the Gnostics believe is they had to reconcile this idea of Jesus. So maybe you've seen the Da Vinci Code um, or all these strange, um, it's called pseudopagography, which is basically uh, random Gnostic gospels of like the Gospel of Thomas. Maybe you've seen some of those things. You, the lost gospel. It's like, wow, we finally found it. You know what I mean? Okay. I'm just saying. Had it for 2,000 years. But you see this, these ideas of things kind of reemerging. They're secret. Wow, Jesus actually was married to Mary and like different things like that. See, what they had to do is that Gnostics could not make sense of this concept that the God of creation would actually be involved with creation. They were like, no way. Like, that, that doesn't work. Because in their philosophy in the first century, Greek mythology culture there was saying that gods were so far, watch this, so far distant from us that they actually believed that gods kind of had these, like, spurred off children in a sense, if you will, called aeons that basically became less of a god, less of a god, less of a god, less of a god, less of a god. So it was, and in a sense, 
that's how they made sense that Jesus was one of these half-mediator, God-man, spirit beings. He wasn't really fully God, but he was able to be involved in creation. Now, this is absolutely profound because what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5 is this, that God reconciled the world through Christ. This is profound because if you're reading this in that first century and kind of the modern thought of that day is that material is bad and spiritual mysticism is good and if I can just kind of have a spiritual experience and frankly in this same time there was a ton of commentaries you actually can kind of see an allusion to it in the book of Colossians which is another letter written by Paul of this idea of false humility and a worship of angels what I mean by that is that the first century was so entrenched in mysticism that their idea of a good spiritual experience was by walking around with some incense, some spices, some different types of herbs, walking into a room and then having some sort of mystical experience with an angel. And then a teacher would come out and say, I just had this experience with this sort of being. And wow, and everyone would go, wow, he's so spiritual. And Paul, now I want to make a note here, it's not that those things don't happen, it's that that's not our basis of faith. I want to also say at the same sense that I don't want to run from mysticism because of abuse, just that's not our foundation of it. Now Paul says this though, that God reconciled the earth or the world through Christ. This is an interesting concept. Because in the first century mind, the gods were in the heavens and occasionally, maybe you've seen some of the movies, the Greek mythology is kind of taking off again, like Clash of the Titans is a, a recent one, Immortals, um, whatever. Some of the different movies where you have this idea that there's a god who occasionally descends into the earth to interact with humans, but on a real regular basis he doesn't do that. Come on, somebody track with me. All right, we're, we're working again. We got two over. You understand what I'm saying? The idea that the gods are in the heavens and they don't really interact with us. Occasionally they come in and they kind of break the rules and they help us and they guide us. But, I mean, realistically, they're not really engaged in human affairs. Paul says, though, that God, watch that, God reconciled us. God initiated something, which in the first century mind is really profound to think that God is initiating an act of love towards humans. And I want to say this, the gospel is bigger and better and greater than you can comprehend. We, we, we become so accustomed to hearing about God's grace that it just kind of goes over our head. And maybe you've been with somebody that's less privileged than you or doesn't have as much money as you. And I, I, I know growing up, I had the privilege of traveling a ton with my parents. And then I'll be around other people and, you know, they get the, the chance to, like, go to Walmart. You know, and they, they come back and they're like, I'm excited. And you're like, you went to Walmart. You, you, know, you know what I mean, though? But what happens is we be kind of get we dumbed down with familiarity that we don't understand the beauty of the gospel because we just go, oh yeah, grace is good, grace is this. The grace of God is bigger than you can comprehend or perceive. Paul says God reconciled us. Now skip down to verse 21 and then we're going to come back actually to 19 and 20. It's twofold here. The gospel's implication towards us and then number two, we'll go into gospel implication through us. Verse 21, for our sake, say our sake. Man, I'm thankful for that. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin 
that we would be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is it. All right. It, it, it amazes me how Christian culture in the U.S. is fascinated with everything but Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that. You go into the Christian bookstore. We got 700 books on how the world's going to end, and we don't know how to do what to do on the way there. I don't understand that. Let's study how we're driving into a dead end. No, no, no. I think, anyways, we'll work through that on another day. We're fascinated by everything. But Jesus, see the gospel's simple. The gospel's this. L- l- listen to me. He who knew no sin, Jesus, righteous, perfect Son of God, perfect in all ways, was without sin. Now listen. It says this right above it, right above that in verse nineteen. He did not count against us our trespasses. In other words, he doesn't look at you and go, you're too dirty, you're too far off, you're too anything. He goes, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about that. Instead, I'm going to die in your place and exchange my righteous standing for yours. Now, this is, watch this though, because you got to hear this. The the gospel still, it's it's far bigger than than we can grasp because... When I talk about creation, all right, creation, everything here, if Jared Ruddy, all right, would, would go in and say we could just get a little worm here. I never understood in books why worms have glasses. Why are worms blind? Anyways, there's a small worm here, and somehow I could be translated. Watch this. If I could be translated into a worm, I want you to see this. If I could be translated from uh, me, this incredible physique. Anybody want to no, I'm already married. All right. <laughs> this incredible, just perfection in a person outside of Christ. All right. If I could be translated into that small worm, that would, st- how, how many people would agree? All right. Hopefully you would agree. If you want not agree, keep it to yourself. How many people would agree that, that would be a little bit of a downgrade for me this morning? Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really a big fan of you right now. All right. Well, we're going to work through that later. Now, that, that would be a downgrade, right? That, that would be a little... But watch this. This is, this is absolutely profound. Even in that translation of myself as a human going down to a worm, all of the incredible intricacies of my body, of my human senses, of everything that I have to me, even taking that and going down to the size of a worm that has far less capabilities, even that would still be within the created order. I'd be going creature to creature. Now, the beauty of the gospel is this, that God himself didn't come creature to creature. He came creator to creation. Wow. There's, there's no, there's no, like we can't even fathom the distance because if I would, if I would be translated into a worm in some strange science thing, that would still be, I mean, I feel like I got the raw end of the deal there. I would still be in the created order, but the gospel's this, God, the creator of all things, heaven and earth, trans formed, incarnated God, took upon himself the form of a human, it says. He took it on. Not that he took on this mask of a human. He became human. Now, that is so profound because in the first century, I don't even know if I can understand it because I don't live there, but I can only read about it and hopefully make sense of it. That's like saying, in a sense to them, that was blasphemous. Because it was matter was evil. So that turns into, and honestly, it turns into this strange form of asceticism, which means punishing your body, and still some religions do that today. That if I can somehow punish myself, if 
if I can somehow withhold things from myself, then God will be pleased. See, the gospel implication to us is this, that God reconciled us outside of your works. There is nothing in us that can please God outside of Christ. There's nothing. Like, I don't care if you have a good day, a bad day, or somewhere in the middle. Your best day falls miserably short. I love that. Like, little kids have no perception of things. You ever notice that? I mean, they're on stage, and they think they can jump to that pew. Uh, I'm going for it. And they just fall right down. See, somehow we got this perception in us that's like, I can please God. He's over there. Oh, watch watch what I got in me. I I got this today. I'm I'm really going to perfect my humanity. But the truth is, we really can't please God. All we know how to do is curb our natural behaviors until we can somehow become perfected people. But the truth is, on a heart level, we fall miserably short. And you know it, and I know it. We all know it. But the gospel's this. He who knew no sin became sin that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that the gospel is bigger than you can believe. The gospel is broader than you can comprehend. There, this thing is so good. It's too good to be true. It, it, it's one of those things that if you really grasp even just the onset of it, you go, man, this, this, really, shouldn't, this really shouldn't work. This really shouldn't work. Well, let me just pound one other thing, and then we're going to move into the second half of this, or we'll call it the last third to make you feel a little bit better like it's moving along, all right? See, we have a concept, and I, I know I've said this before, but it's interesting because we default to it. We rank people. We have a ladder system for people. We rank them. What I mean by that is if I ask you, if you're a good person, first thing you do is find a bad person. <laughs> Maybe your neighbor, all right? Not the person sitting beside you. Or maybe it is person, but I don't When I ask you, are you a good person, the first thing you default to is, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Am I a bad person? No. Because we measure accordingly to the people that we can put in their place because that's really how society works. Are you wealthy? Well, I have more money than so-and-so. I have less money than so-and-so. So depending on our social standing or the people that we're around, we rank ourselves, right? It makes sense. The gospel's this, though, that God forgives us and saves us not because you're better or worse than somebody, not because you've learned how to perfect your humanity in some impressive way towards God, The gospel is that we all fall short of pleasing him. But this is the good news. I don't know if you saw our news station. Did anyone see on the news that they followed us? Of course, they got two clips. And one I have to say in private because I'm being recorded. And then number two is that, of course, they get me in half of my quote. And I was like, oh, come on. The beauty of the gospel is this, though. That God redeems us in spite of our works, good or bad, we're redeemed. The, the, see, the new creation, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. This is not a second try. The gospel is not starting over. The gospel is a new creation into a new, redeemed, renewed humanity. And this deals with something far beyond behaviors. This goes into the heart. 
What I mean by that is this. See, the goal of Christianity, the goal of the gospel is not for you just to stop sinning. It's, it's, I mean, it's not the goal is to stop certain behaviors and start others. The truth is Dr. Phil would be a far better pastor than, than, than most pastors if that was the goal. See, my goal every Sunday, listen, is not to get you to stop certain things and start other things. If I do that, I waste my time. My goal is to get you to understand how big and how great the gospel is, that you are unworthy of it, Christ is worthy of it, and in that, that, that mindset, we give him our lives. And he changes behaviors. I don't have to change my behavior to be accepted. He accepts me, therefore all I want to do is please him. See, the gospel is not stop this behavior, start this behavior. The gospel is, hey, I'm going to save you in spite of all your behaviors because even your good ones can't please me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send my perfect, spotless, sinless son on your behalf and I'm going to look at you and say, I'm pleased in you, not because of anything you've done. I'm pleased in you because of what Christ has done. Wow, I wish someone would just relax for a minute and just go, man, this, thing, this life's okay. actually okay. I mean, seriously, it drives me nuts. I feel like we turn spirituality, like the more depressed you look, the more spiritual you look. How's things going? I'm walking through spiritual warfare. How's everything going? I'm just, I'm just under spiritual attack. Gosh. The more spiritual you are, the more beat up you are. Whew. I wish somebody would just understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We focus so much on things that go wrong. It's interesting. When things go wrong, we accredit it to God. When things go right, we accredit it to people. Just saying. We'll figure that one out later. Number two, look with me right here in verse 20. See, the implication of the gospel to us is that Christ redeems us outside of our works. But listen, it doesn't end there. See, what happens is that we kind of just get to this thing where, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I feel good about it. Now that I'm doing that, I'll just kind of live my life. But see, the gospel doesn't let us do that. The gospel doesn't just save us to sit still. The gospel sends us then on mission. And what that mission is this. Therefore, we are, verse 20, ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God's making his appeal through us, and we're saying, be reconciled to God. Now, now I, I wanna walk, I'm wrapping this up, but I want you to see this. Essentially, what our job as believers is to do is not convince people. We're, we're not to go into the world and try to convince people. Because, listen, if you can try to convince somebody, then somebody that can intellectually convince them that's a little bit smarter than you. And, listen, this is true, and if, you, if you're struggling in your mind going, is the Bible true? I would love to point you in some really great books that can just help kind of work through those things. But our goal is not to go into the world and convince people to look like us. All right? I, I know you love your big sign that you stand out on the street corner and say, like, turn or burn. That's not your job. I'm just letting you know. All right, we'll move on. What we're doing is we are ambassadors the word ambassador means the embodiment of a country in a person. The embodiment of a country or a kingdom in a person. This, this is, can, buckle your seatbelts. I don't know if we got to install those here, but get ready, okay? This is, I don't know, I just get excited. I'm bouncing, all right? Here we go. We are ambassadors for Christ. Watch this. The embodiment of a country or a kingdom in a person. 
Now, I got this mental picture floating around, and maybe it's going to come out right, maybe it's going to come out wrong. Hopefully it comes out right. We are recording this. Essentially, what Christ did on the cross doesn't just affect... Now, I want to be careful. All right, I'm walking a tightrope here. Don't jump off or don't push me off. The, 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 the gospel's implication towards all of creation is bigger and broader than you getting over your personal sin. God is restoring humanity. You're his ambassador. Watch this. For instance, imagine, and it, this is kind of hard because we, we are in a democratic society where everybody gets a vote, and then they get to re-vote on re-votes and not check things. I don't understand that. Imagine in a kingdom, in a country, there's a king. And this king has ruled this area, this city, these people. He's pulled out money from them, resources. Their children are slaves. Watch this. Their children are slaves. Their wives become servants. Their men become just work slaves. All right? And this has gone on for generation after generation. So that all they know, all they know, when I grow up, when I look at, well, what's your heritage? Well, my daddy's dad, whose daddy's dad was a slave, and then he was a slave, and he made bricks. Well, then what does your mom do? Well, my mom's worked in the king's palace making food. Well, where are, you, where are the girls right now? You understand what I'm saying? That all they've understood for generation has been bondage, corruption, where this king is not just saying, I'm a righteous king, that wants to treat you well, but a king who's taking out all of their resources, using people, manipulating them, raising it so that they have nothing for themselves. Their life is lived in a total opposite direction. Now watch this. In a war, and not even really, I want to be careful with this analogy because there wasn't an epic fight. Some of us give more worship to Satan than we do to God by our perspective. Not in some epic fight, but simply in a declaration. A new king comes in and says, uh, I'm king now. I'm king. It's changed. So we had an old king who had this whole people group under tyranny, and a new king comes in and says, freedom, release. Freedom, release. That king comes in and begins to send people out, messengers, ambassadors into that country and say, there's a new way to live. There's a freedom here. Now the other king who was just kicked off his throne is technically still has people in bondage until they understand the good news or the gospel of the new king. See, those people live under bondage and constraint and their families are still broken and their, their functionality is dysfunctional and the way that they interact with people is broken and their kids are growing up finding into all kinds of things and they're stealing for things and you track what I'm saying, but, but the new king goes, you know what? The way I'm going to get my word out is by beginning to send out ambassadors into this country and they're going to show up and they're going to preach Good news. And that good news is, hey, even though that old king keeps showing up at your door and going, knock, 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 where's my rent? Knock, 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 you you owe me, where's my taxes? See, there's ambassadors that God has released into the earth that show up at that door and say, you don't have to live in this dysfunction anymore. 
You don't have to. There's a new way. And now listen, I, I want you to understand this because we, we, all, we all too often make ourselves a savior as if it's our job to convince somebody. As if I have to show up and go, well, this is how it works. Listen, the, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, when I show up and I declare there's another way to live, whether you like it or they like it or not, if God looks at them and says, I'm going to waken them right now. See, the power is not in your presentation. The power is in the message. The power is in the victory because this is an entirely different story. This is not something like, like I'm reading Homer's The Odyssey or I'm reading Moby Dick this morning. Thank God I'm not preaching through that. I still never finished it. Seventh grade. But this isn't just a story. This is something infused. This is the living word of God. God has called us. I want you to see this. And we're, this is... This is my land, I see the landing thing. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I fly like that, but I'm landing. God has called us as ambassadors into a tangible, physical world. Spirituality is not mysticism. Spirituality is everything. This cafe that we just built, well, I don't know if this messes with your theology. That's spiritual. When, I can't wait to paint this building. I, I, I want you to see this. We're going to close on this building in a couple of weeks. I cannot wait to paint it because I believe when we paint it, something spiritually happens. I'm not talking about something mystical. Like, oh, wow, you know, I just felt the presence of the Lord come over me because you painted it brown or whatever. I mean, if you do, cool. It's between you and yourself. Keep it to yourself. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you're feeling it from a brown paint, we got, we got to work through some things. I don't have to work through it. There's something spiritually that happens when an old church that was let go, when new life comes into it. When condemned houses are restored, something spiritually happens. Isaiah 58 says, you will be called the restorer of the cities with dwelling places. See, God has called us to this city not to gather around to hear a service, but to transform this area. See, we've made spiritual warfare and spiritual battles about something that's unseen that we kind of swing a sword at and hope we hit it. Listen, I don't see it like that. I see spirituality as everything I do is influencing. Everything I do. You, I want you to see this. See, Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, it won't, it won't go forgotten. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, whatever you eat or drink, do all things to his glory. We've created this separation called Christian secular. So what's happened to the world, watch this, this is absolutely scary. The world has become neutral at best and evil at worst. We become scared and insulated. I've got to stay away from that. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Well, they don't, believe, they don't believe like me. I'm not really sure what I can do. And we've created this thing where we're just kind of hoping that God escapes us out of here. And then we're just driving into a dead end. Listen, I know you're trying to escape here. My Bible says the meek inherit the earth. I'm, in, I'm, I'm telling you, one of my friends said, Jared, are you going Monopoly on this city or what? Because I said, listen, we're already planning to buy another house here. I can't wait to buy. I already got a house I'm praying for here that God will let us buy, turn it into a coffee shop to connect to the community because I'm interested in something bigger than just showing up at a church service, putting in my time, clocking out and leaving. I believe that God is transforming a city. We've, we've retreated to an hour and a half church service a week. And I want to tell you that God has called us to far more as a church. God has called us to influence a city. You, you, when, when we... 
you look at you look at the city and you think, wow, it's dysfunctional. I don't know if anybody else thinks that. I do. Being honest with you, our, our our county commissioners prior to the two that are there are imprisoned, Luzerne County's judges. Come on, anybody watch read the news? It's corrupt. All right. I mean, like I don't I don't know. Like, let me just also let you know this doesn't. It's not always like this everywhere. All right. That's not like everywhere is corrupt like this. There is a stronghold here. But yet what we've done is we've retreated into kind of our little corner and go, oh, we're Christians. We, we don't want to do anything. Listen, I'm not talking about marching up the White House and going, give us the White House. I'm not talking about that. All right? Easy. You do that. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be with you. Sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to show up. Okay. I thought it was next week. All right? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about showing up and storing, give us the city. No, that, that's, that's goofy. That, that, that gets us where we were. And that gets us where we don't want to go. What I'm talking about is that God has sent you into areas and spheres of influence already. And you are salt and light. You don't, have to, to, you don't have to overemphasize that. You just have to show up. I love that. God will bring you into places of influence. And I promise you, if you trust him with what's yours, he'll trust you with what's his. All you do is show up and steward what God's given you. I can't wait to see this city, the tide turning. Listen, there's a whole lot of people in this city that still think they're under the dominion of another king. And this morning, I've got incredible news. There's freedom available. There's a new way of life. Amen. Mark, if you want to come forward at the band. The gospel is incredible news. There's actually a story. um, The Battle of Marathon, maybe you've read about it or studied about it at all. Battle of Marathon, though, and this is kind of legend um, more so than fact. The Battle of Marathon, though, an incredible fight. And there was a, a soldier, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. It starts with a P and an H, and it ends with an S. I'm not even going to try. Somewhere between Philadelphia and Philippians. I don't know what the word name is, but it's somewhere between the two. And the legend has it that this man ran 26.2 miles, where we get the idea of marathon. And he showed up to these soldiers declaring... Gospel, gospel, or victory, victory. It was, see, the idea of the word gospel, like, the, the scripture's written in a couple different languages. The New Testament, primarily Greek, though. And it's amazing, if you actually just look at what he uses words intentionally. The word gospel wasn't a Christian word. It was a word very familiar in that first century time, meaning victory, good news, the good news of a victory. And this is the same idea in the book of Romans when Paul would write and say, how beautiful, watch this, are the feet of people who bring the good news. What does he mean by that? We're soldiers. We show up and someone goes, you got some good news. I love that. When I go, when I go places, I just, want, I just want my, not my presence, I want God's presence just to, just to come up and bring peace. When I show up in a room, I, I'm, whether you believe this or not, I, I do because I've seen it. And I can't wait to see this thing start to just spread like wildfire here. Because our goal as a church is not to get a crowd, it's to get a church. Let's pray. Can we stand together? I want to thank you so much for coming to City Lights this morning. And uh, I want to pray. I want to pray over you, and also I want to, uh, we don't really often do this um, or like this, but listen, if you're here, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to have everybody close their eyes, bow their head, and do that. All I'm simply saying is this, that if you're living in a life that's less than what God has for you, I've got really good news. Listen, you don't have to be bound by alcoholism. You don't have to be bound by relational dysfunction. You don't have to be bound by anger. You don't have to. You don't have to. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that the biggest section in, in bookstores is self-help. You're the person that got yourself there. Why do you think you're going to get yourself out? There's this philosophy that if I can just clean myself up, if I can work myself up, and once I can clean my, and get my life together, then I'll come to Christ. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. See, the gospel doesn't let you do that because if you do that, you're your own savior. The harder you fight, the, the, the farther he steps back. You know what? It's, this is a great day. This is a phenomenal day. There's people all around you in this church today listen, that weren't saved just from Christian backgrounds that came from absolutely dysfunctional brokenness and somebody showed up to them and said, I got good news for you. Life can be different. Life can be different. And I'm not talking about get saved and it's all magically overnight, it's perfected. No, I'm talking about grace in the, in the midst of brokenness. And I'm talking about his divine intervention that doesn't let you go while he transforms you. It doesn't just have to be an instantaneous, oh, I got it, everything's better now, I'm a Christian, I'm perfect. No, you're forgiven in an instance, and he won't let you go until he absolutely sanctifies you and glorifies you. This morning, I pray that this made sense, that matter matters. Your job that you hate, or your job that you love, the people in your life, everything you touch is spiritual. Just because you can see it doesn't mean that it's not spiritual. If anything, it means it's it's. When he created the earth, he said, this is my creation and it's good. Why do we keep saying it's bad? When you go to dinner today, have an experience with God when you eat that food. Just say, thank you, Lord, that you created this. That's when we pray, we give thanks. It's not, oh, Lord, you know, keeping me from being poisoned by this fried food, you know. (laughs) Somebody thank God for fried food this morning. Praise God. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When When you eat this afternoon, just somebody, just... Enjoy your life a little bit and recognize that God created a good earth. We're going to just sing a closing song in this morning in your own heart, in your own way. If you haven't placed faith in Christ, it's not a mystical, you know, I'm not going to have you stand up here and do a dance or anything, but simply recognize in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus. I was good with the music there. I don't know if anyone else knows that. <laughs> Just in your own heart, recognize, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Not just, listen, we've, we've made it about being saved to heaven or saved from hell. All right, th- th- that's, a part of, that's a part of the thing. That's the last page in the book, though. We got a long story in between. We got a long time in between. God's not just trying to save us. He's trying to renew us and redeem us now. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. Thank you that this is good news, that the gospel is good news. And Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning. I thank you that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that, uh, wow, we don't have to work for it. You actually give us faith to believe. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling, those that are confused this morning, that your Holy Spirit would convict them, would guide them. And Lord, that most of all, your love would absolutely embrace us. Let's worship together, and then we'll dismiss in a minute.